Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my friend, and welcome to Catch Up with Louise Makshari. This is the podcast where we aim to catch you up in the week if you haven't been paying attention to the news, if you haven't been paying attention to showbiz, if you're not really clued in on what's going on in the world. No problem. That's that's my job, to catch you up every Friday. Thank you for joining me if you are coming back. Thank you for joining me. If this is your first time, I really hope you like it. Um, I am speaking to you from an absolute madhouse, as you will hear me refer to <laughs> several times during the episode. I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, honestly, do you ever find yourself in a situation that you created yourself and just going, have I met me? Um, Like the last few weeks have been so completely hectic and I don't know on what planet I thought it would make sense to go, like go to Ibiza for a week with the kids, come home, have one day to try and do all of my work basically. And then go to All Together Now, which was obviously amazing, but taxing. Let's be honest, after a festival, you're wrecked. Then I went straight, literally straight from All Together Now to Wexford to um, hang out with my two friends and their kids, five kids, three adults in a little house. And the weather is not amazing. I mean, we had a great day yesterday, which was great, but like we are stuck inside a lot of the time. And we're finding things to do, but like, I have not been alone for weeks. And I'm someone who does not do well in that situation. Like, I really need time. And and like, I had all my work to do this week. I had to write two columns. I had to produce two podcast episodes because this week was the Patreon mailbag episode. I just don't know what I was thinking. Like, all the work got done. But I don't think I've been very pleasant to be around. And I don't know why I created that situation for myself. Like, why do we do this to ourselves? I think I was just trying to have it all. I was like, I can do it all. I can be the woman that has it all. I can spend time with my kids and get my work done and socialize with my friends at the same time and do it when I'm already absolutely wrecked like that. How could that possibly be a problem? Turns out I'm an absolute idiot. Anyway, we live and learn. I am having a lovely time, don't get me wrong, but... Excuse me, with the ADHD and stuff as well, when there's lots of different pots on to boil, I like really struggle. I get super overwhelmed and then I get like unpleasant and then I feel terrible about myself and I feel like I'm, you know, uh, an absolute nightmare for my friends and you know yourself. I'm not at my best, I don't feel today. But anyway, 
I have managed to put together a podcast episode for you and it is great. No thanks to me. Thanks to my contributors. There's lots to catch up on this week. So of course, we're going to get the news. We're going to speak to playwright and performer Kelly Shatter, who has a program, a program, a play, excuse me, in the Dublin Fringe Festival. You'll hear all about that. I really enjoyed our chat. We talked about creativity and we talked about um, coming out as bisexual in your late 30s and kind of what happens with women and their sexuality that often Often we don't get to know ourselves sexually until we're much older. Um, And we talked about addiction and technology and loads of different things. I really enjoyed my chat with her. So you'll hear that a little bit later on. And of course, we've got the latest in entertainment. We talk about Sinead O'Connor's funeral and lots more besides. Um, Yeah, I guess we should just get on with it. I hope you enjoy this, despite the fact that I am very scattered at the moment. Please forgive me. Let's start with Eva Moore. Eva Moore. I am joining you from a house of chaos and where you are looks very calm. I'm very jealous. I was going to say, do you not always meet me in a house of chaos? Well, sometimes it's your house. <laughs> That's what I meant. <laughs> your house is not as chaotic as this house I made. No, currently. it's not. It's not. But look, we're getting it done. That's the main thing. We're getting it done. We're being a mom. We're doing kid time. We're doing it all. We're doing it all. We're having it all. That's what's happening. Um, That's what I'm telling myself. <laughs> Good people trying our best. That's it. Um, okay, we've got lots to discuss, so let's get into the news. And uh, we will start with this. This is the purpose of this slot is if there are stories that have been floating around in your periphery during the week, but you just haven't engaged with that, we can fill you in. And that is very much the case with this police data breach um, that I've been vaguely not, aware of. It's not good, Louise. What not ha- good. What's happened? There has been an industrial scale breach of data within the police service of Northern Ireland, also known as the PSNI. Mm. The breach, um, which the head of the PSNI has said has been attributed to human error, was caused by a very simple freedom of information request, which then saw the names and the rank and other important details that grades across the organization of of police officers posted online for all to see for around three hours. So as we know, or as people maybe don't know, joining the PSNI um, in certain communities is still very much not approved of, Mm. especially in Catholic and nationalist communities. Um, PSNI officers remain on high alert Mm. for threats from both loyalist and dissident Republican Mm. terrorists. We saw a very high-ranking police officer shot this year he has mm. thankfully recovered but this is terrifying um i know even from my community there are people who are in the psni who haven't even told their family members that they're in the psni and mm. now the notion that their data has been posted online and it has already been claimed by dissident republicans that they are in uh possession of this information uh some of it is circling around whatsapp And the PSNI have now had to advise officers on how to go forward. To make matters worse is that this is the second incident that they have had uh, this year. So a laptop was actually stolen from a police car uh, at the start of the summer Mm. um, with information on that as well. So the chief constable of the PSNI is a a man named Simon Byrne. He was away on holidays with his family. He's had to cut that short and come home. Hmm. The policing board, which is made up of 
politicians, MLAs, mm. met today. Um, he had to answer questions from the police and board. And, you know, the MLAs across the political spectrum from unionist to nationalists and in between have said that it is Catholic officers are the most concerned about the data breach. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people, they said, you know, would it's hard enough to get people from a nationalist background to join the PSNI. And now people will be looking at this that they can't even keep their de- details safe. I'm a little confused, um, though, because so what happened was, from what I've read um, in preparation for talking to you, Mm-hmm. There was a table embedded in a response to an FOI request that yes. if you clicked into it, you got all of this inform- all of this additional information, additional to yeah. what, the, what the Freedom of Information request was. But for that information to be public, that means whoever requested... No, no? they post... They post um, so RTE, I believe, does this as well. But when, when, when someone... When the PSNI send out the answer to your freedom of information request, mm. they also post it on their website. Okay. 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 Yes. Okay. So it becomes available to everyone. Yeah, because and I was, was like, on... surely someone, because most people who would be requesting FOI things wouldn't be the type you would think who would like dox. No, it's most it's mostly journalists. Right. Um, yeah. But they posted it on their own website and it was available for around three hours. Oh, and man. Now dis- and, now, and now dissident Republicans are claiming that they have hundreds of PSNI officers data. Now, I would say their addresses were not posted on it, mm. were not uh, available, but their rank um, and all that kind of career information was. Mm. And it is not very hard then to find people when you have that kind of information. So there is serious concern and there has been calls already for the chief constable of the PSNI to stand down. I would say Simon Byrne, isn't, this is not his first controversy as the head of the police service in Northern Ireland. Um, but it remains to be seen whether it'll be his last. Mm. Um, no, he hasn't resigned yet, but there has been calls now for him to uh, reconsider his position. Right. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. I think you explained that very clearly. Um, let's move on to job losses at Accenture. It feels like there are just so many stories of job losses over the last year. And hard to imagine... Um, how it must feel to be among those. This is 890 jobs. Yeah, and I think the through line with all these tech jobs being lost is what we see most commonly is that these companies do not act in any proper way when it comes to laying off these employees. So Accenture hasn't been any different. Um, 890 Irish jobs are to go. But from what we have heard in the journal.ie, the, no, and the employees have been kept very much in the dark about what's going to happen. So the journal did some great reporting. They spoke to a number of employees who do not know if they have been laid off, which is part of the problem, but they are in scope for redundancy. Mm. They said that information is not forthcoming Mm. and that the information that they are getting has been drip-fred. They said that they were moving staff from high-cost locations. I cannot think of a more high-cost location than Dublin Mm. to cost-effective locations. Um, But again, it's all been drip, drip, drip. They said that they still don't know. One staff member said, we've had little to no information from leadership regarding our timeline. Mm. This makes the future very hard to plan for and it's causing a lot of stress and anxiety. They said this was antithetical to Accenture's stated commitment to wellness and mental health. I think if I was king of the world, I would ban the term wellness. Oh, me too. It doesn't mean anything. No, exactly. It's a bullshit term. 
that's meaningless, but it's being used to, for companies to make themselves feel good and for industries to profit. I no, it. I would say that the, there is a theory within the employees or should to be uh, ex-employees of Accenture that they believe the prolonged ambiguity regarding our departure date is by design hmm. to have a mass exodus, which would be cheaper than paying out mass severance payments. If that is the case, that is incredibly cynical. Um, and the resentment among the workers is obvious because they said that the company recorded a net profit of more than six billion last year. What? The, sharehold the shareholders must be delighted. Uh, yes, uh, 890 jobs will be lost uh, in Ireland. Uh, we are seeing this across tech, but that means very little to nothing when you are one of those people. Who, Especially when you've got that kind of profit, six billion in profit. But they are, they said, if it's and you know we we don't know this for certain, but if they're saying you know a high cost location, we are now seeing companies leave, supposedly because Dublin is too expensive. Well, I mean, is that surprising? I'm not sure that it is. Um, that surprising, like no. The whole thing is a mess, a big giant mess. And if you are someone who's working in Accenture, who is stuck in that horrible limbo of not knowing yet whether it is you who's going to lose a job or who just generally is feeling insecure because of everything that's going on. Honestly, you have my fullest sympathies. It's, mm -hmm. It sounds incredibly difficult. Okay, now next up, this discussion about domestic violence leave uh, mm -hmm. coming in. It's good news, right? Yeah, so we are one of the first European uh, co countries to offer domestic violence leave for full full pay for five days. Mm -hmm. um, it'll be implemented by the autumn. And I have to say, what I was very heartened by was that Women's Aid said they had been consultant, consulted the entire way. Yeah, I did an event with this. Women's Aid last year and they mentioned it to me actually this at that time um, and they seemed very optimistic about it. So it's great to see that that communication yeah. has been fruitful. So trade unions, employer groups, Women's Aid and uh, other places like that, uh, Dublin Rape Crisis, etc. had all been consulted through the process. But for uh, context, sick pay is 70% of mm -hmm. your wage this will be 100% of your wage for five days. Um, you will not have to provide, pr provide proof um, to your employer. Mm. Uh, they said this was a deliberate decision to make access to the leave as mm. easy as possible. Um, but you are not going to have to come in and, you know, it, Show it'll be enough. Yeah. yeah. So what they have said is, although some employers might be nervous about this, um, they are going to then provide information for employers about how to deal with this and there will be a range of supports for the employers as well so they know how to deal with the situation yeah, if great. the employee looks for this so mm. um it has been implemented by the children's minister roger gorman um it'll be reviewed after two years um and they'll see how it goes then this was off the back i believe of a Sinn fein legislation that was proposed last year but this has been uh, called for for a very long time mm. so sarah benson who's the chief executive of women's aid she said that domestic violence leave can be taken by women who are in the process of questioning the relationship or leaving an abuser. And she said separation is not only a very dangerous time, but also an expensive time. Mm -hmm. And that women face additional and significant expenses, uh, including legal you know, accommodation, looking after children. And 
this is a period where every euro counts, same Dublin Rate Crisis Centre welcomed it and said, allows victims the opportunity to access supports while their pay during pay leave, or during their leave is maintained at its normal rate. Mm. Um, and it does appear to be good news. We are one of the first. Um, mm. We will see how it actually works yeah. in implementation. I do think, notwithstanding the, the impact on the employee, but... I do think if this is going to work properly, employers are going to have to be supported because depending on the goodness of mass big corporations or big companies um, to do this properly, uh, I would want them supported to ensure that there is no get out of jail free card for them either. Yeah. And And that they are and they know how this works and how it's supposed to be implemented. Well, I mean, I will say, like, I did uh, an event for International Women's Day last year with Board Gosh, and I was so impressed with all that they have in place. And, um, mm-hmm. like, this was already a thing for them. They also worked out with the finance department how they could um, potentially pay people into like a little bit of their salary into a separate bank account if they needed to be like secretly. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like they had all the, they had really thought this through. And I think bigger corporations actually in, in some ways are more likely to have yes. the room and the money to have already thought about this. It's probably smaller companies actually. Yeah. I that mean might like struggle. smaller companies. I don't mean like one employer, you know, your employer, if you know, yeah. if you know your boss, I mean, someone maybe like mid level. Yeah. 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 Um, and obviously I presume that this, apl- I mean, we know obviously that most people who experience domestic violence are women. But I presume that this does apply to men as well. Should yes, they find themselves does. in that situation? Yeah. Okay. Um. Just to get that out of the way, because I know there'll be people listening who'll be who'll be questioning that. Um. Right. Let's move on, my friend, because what is next in the world of excitement and drama? My list has disappeared in front of me. <laughs> it's it's Donald Trump. So, so it's Donald Trump. Oh my god! Of Don- course. How did I Donald- possibly not know? Donald Trump has warned his legions of adoring fans, that he might be forced off the campaign trail to defend himself against what he calls bullshit criminal charges brought by federal and state prosecutors. I think we're on, what, six indictments now? I think he's. I think he has now six indictments against him. Um, so I just to point out, the mm. notion of being forced off the campaign trail... I don't even think Donald Trump needs to campaign mm-hmm. because I think the people who vote for Donald Trump are going to vote for Donald Trump whether he campaigns or not. I mm-hmm. think if you are team Trump, no, you already know you are. But let's let's continue. So he said this week that the, obviously he is not running for president yet. He is running to be the Republican candidate. So we are in the middle of the Republican primaries and Donald Trump as he does, went on a wild rambling speech about the deep state mm. where he vowed retribution and he said that <clears throat> Joe Biden was out to get him. He said, how can my corrupt political opponent, crooked Joe Biden, put me on trial during an election campaign that I am winning by a lot? Hasn't started yet. But forcing me nevertheless to spend time and money away from the campaign in order to fight bogus made up accusations. Mm. Um, one of those uh, he has already been found guilty of against the journalist Eugene Carroll. She is now suing him again for defamation. That's one of the cases. Uh, he is facing indictment over January 6th. He is also facing indictment over fake electors in mm. which he tried to change the outcome of the 
presidential election. Mm. Um, so he then said, after he said this, his crowd reported with a chant where they repeated bullshit, 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 which in any other circumstance, a crowd of people shouting bullshit at Donald Trump would actually be a fitting, mm. a, a fitting response. So he, yeah, the speech went on for more than an hour. He kept Imagine going on. Imagine listening that, to Donald Trump for more than an hour. Uh, he kept saying that the election has been stolen from him. Uh, we know that he does not believe this because he has been recorded in telephone calls admitting that he lost the election. Uh, he, you know, has said, leave this, let's leave. There was complicated policy areas that he said he wanted to leave for the next guy, which meant he already knew he had lost the um yeah so just to give people the back and forward the he is more than likely going to be the republican candidate but he may have to fight that election from prison Mm. because some of the charges he is facing he could face around 15 to 20 years in prison Mm. wild okay and finally before i let you go um shops are stopping selling newspapers well no that's a, a sweeping generalization but they said that some shops. news agents some shops yeah have, have stopped because it's very expensive for small news agents to carry newspapers and they are calling for reform so around 40 shops have stopped selling newspapers in and around dublin city center mm. and they said it's because of the extremely high cost of doing business especially for rural shops so one recent case of a huge a news agent in a village in monster was asked to put down a 2500 euro deposit but he only sold about 60 euro papers every week, which mm. not good. Um, so I would say, especially, I feel like life is getting harder and harder for elderly people. And it is elderly people and older people who buy the overwhelming majority mm. of newspapers. Um, but they are making it harder to, not harder to sell newspapers, but it is very expensive. So the way it works is that you pay for the delivery of the papers every morning but you also pay for the collection of the ones that you haven't sold mm. it's called a carriage charge and you can they said that most of the people are paying around six thousand five hundred euro per year just to receive the newspapers and the magazines mm. and especially as news agents are squeezed with big grocery places like tesco's and all of those things um, it's just not worth their while. Well, also, the newspaper industry isn't what it, it was. Let's be it honest. It definitely so, like, isn't, and they're not selling as many. So yeah, you not, can't maintain the same level. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Okay. So they're calling for a restructuring of how it's done because at the end of the day, it doesn't bode well for the newspaper industry either. They have news agents not selling papers. I find it really sad when I go on and I see shops that don't sell newspapers. Um, yeah. Because not everybody, some people just like reading the newspaper. I would be devastated if I couldn't read a newspaper on a Sunday. For, and like, well, I'm not going to say I buy newspapers every day. Without being online. like a super dramatic, when I was on the cover of Irish Country Magazine, I had an appointment in Bagot Street, um, like lower, whatever the far away Bagot Street is. I had an appointment mm-hmm. there. And it, I didn't, wasn't able to find a shop that sold magazines until Stevens Green. Like I went into Ooh. every news agent along the way and none of them, mm. all the magazine sections were just gone. Like it's, oh, and that's they very sad, isn't it? still might have a newspaper rack or whatever, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely something we're thinking about, but we just aren't living the way that we used to live. I mean, that's just the reality yeah. of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, Aoife, thank you so, so much. I hope you have a lovely evening. Thank you. I appreciate you 
for bringing Enjoy us Wexford. all of these stories. I will do my damnedest. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Kelly Shatter's dark comedy play is one of the shows that is taking place in September as part of Dublin's Fringe Festival. I love the Fringe. Um, like I always find it super accessible. There's always lots of fun bits in it. And Kelly's show really piqued my interest when I read about it because it kind of evolves around the world of finding yourself, of, um, I suppose, trying to operate at your best level and perhaps failing. Um, it's called The Scratcher. It is on in Bewley's Cafe Theatre on the 11th to the 16th of September. You can get all the details at fringefest.ie. Um, but I massively, massively enjoyed my chat with Kelly Shatter and I hope you enjoyed too. Well, Dublin Fringe is coming up again and I have to say it's always one of my favourite times of year. There's always great opportunities to go and see brilliant people doing brilliant work and always lots of fun stuff as well with the Fringe. And one of the shows that's coming up is The Scratcher and I am delighted to be joined by Kelly Shatter, whose project it is. Hello, Kelly. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Delighted to have you. So The Scratcher is not a brand new show. Uh, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, so it it's had two iterations already, but I would like to say there have been mini iterations. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first was Axis Assemble uh, commissioned they commission like 20 artists every year to just develop work and it's so beautiful. It's very low key you can either show work at the end of the year or not so I had I had a year to basically just like purge a lot of really dark stuff (laughs) and out of the kind of like 90% of the stuff that I wrote there was a few paragraphs that I felt were really like something special Mm. Um, and those paragraphs were 10 minutes long and I read them at the end of the year and then I developed that into 25 minutes and I did uh, a show at Seen and Heard the Festival of New Work uh, and yeah, just the first 25 minutes and a lot of people do kind of a full beginning, middle and end. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a bit scary to just do something where you weren't going to give people that satisfying sense of like catharsis and end. Mm. Uh, but it was also really nice because I got to put a little to be continued to kind of entice people to further want to know the story after. OK, so this is the first time it's going to be seen in full then. Yeah. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. Before we get into it, can I ask you a little bit about when you go into, you know, a, something like what you were just describing and um, with Axis, like, where do you begin as an artist? Like you, you have this space to work. And as you say, you kind of had a lot of stuff to get out. How does mm. that work? Because I think a lot of people who don't work in the arts probably have no idea how, how that process goes for people. Yeah, I suppose um, I can 100% share my process, but I do think it's really different yeah, for everyone. Of course. Um, so, yeah, so mine was the combination of two things. I had the sentence, a show where a girl is addicted to scratch cards. That was literally all I had. I knew nothing else, but I kind of thought, oh, what a fun idea. Mm. And then I also had the pitch where you kind of, share that idea to access but obviously they're looking for like a fully fledged out Mm. idea so I couldn't just be like this is the thing here's one sentence good luck Mm -hmm. so I kind of needed to interrogate where that was coming from and Mm. why I was interested in exploring that so the kind of the combination of putting that application together and they allow you to do video applications which I love because I Mm. do much better vocally than I do on the (laughs) hilariously because I'm a writer (laughs) shouldn't really work that I do better vocally Um, but when it comes to applying to things I feel like I can connect my passion when I speak about it rather than when I write about it Mm. it was just like a five minute application where I spoke 
to camera about the project and mm. in doing that I kind of got to find out what it was mm. that I wanted to explore and why so it was a combination of that mm. and the one sentence and then from there uh yeah just like a really beautiful unfolding of 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 an idea very mm. slowly and what was it that you know you wanted to explore what where do you think that sentence came from yeah, I think, well, addiction is very much a part of my family. So I'm mm. really interested in how we all relate to addiction. Mm. Um, I'm interested in my own addictive tendencies, um, which are quite manageable. Mm. But the fact that they're manageable doesn't mean that they don't impact. Like, I think I spent, an, I think I kind of procrastinated away, like most of my mid-20s to mid-30s, mm. just through my like addictive relationship with technology mm. um and I you know I think that's not really talked about enough there's still so much stigma around it and so I really wanted to make a show where the everyday addictions are highlighted just to show that like it's a spectrum so some people have it where it's like takes over their life but actually most of it have it in a daily basis mm. and I think if you do that if you show that this is all of us this isn't just some people mm. uh, this is for everyone um then I think it kind of releases that kind of tension around it that we still have as a society do you mean kind of the like us and theming of people exactly. who deal with serious addiction yeah yeah exactly yeah I think that if you can show people like this is universal it's a universal human need to soothe mm. and we're not taught coping strategies to our emotions to our pain and so the un the necessary step is to and, and the the smart step is to look for soothing but we just mm -hmm. don't know how to soothe we're not taught so we look to technology or we look to food or we look to alcohol and all of these things mm. or gambling and and you know my family mm. <laughs> uh yeah so uh that kind of soothing is something that is so human and mm. yet it's something that we I don't think we understand yeah. enough yet so your main character is addicted to scratch cards. I have to say, I've never really gone down the scratch card route. Gambling mm -hmm. is not one of the things that like piques my interest. Now I will mm -hmm. spend 14 hours a day on my phone, but mm -hmm. like for whatever reason, I've <laughs> yes. never felt the kind of inspired even to, to buy a scratch card. Is that something that you've been into yeah. or? Well, yeah, I mean, no, yes and no. So okay. I felt the seed. So a few years ago, a friend of mine, just got me a scratch card after got, like getting petrol in his car uh, petrol for his car petrol in his car and I I I did it and I won two euro and mm. I felt that like I have a little bit of a like jelly thing you know like jellies not not kind oh, of jelly sweets. on a plate yeah sweets and I felt that same kind of like I could feel my eyes just kind of pop and that feel like giddy feeling of like more 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 and so mm. I won the two euro and you can obviously go and cash it in or you can get another one for two euros so I got another one and I got I won another two euro and uh I was I kind of said to my friend I'm gonna go and cash it in and get another one he was like just don't get another one <laughs> I honestly think if I had it could I could be the character I'm now writing about mm -hmm. so I kind of noticed I also I remember spending like a weekend in Vegas with friends and I didn't do any I didn't use anything in the casinos because I felt I felt something in me to mm -hmm. really want to mm -hmm. and so I just was like I'm gonna stay I'm gonna step away from this mm -hmm. But scratch card addiction is a real thing that lots of people experience, isn't it? And it can really yeah. ruin people's lives. 
Absolutely. A lot of people have uh, come to me with their stories, obviously, since I've been doing this, like friends who've seen the show, friends I didn't know who had addictions have come up to me and said, oh, mm. yeah, I'm addicted to scratch cards. Um, and again, these these kind of addictions we don't think to share. Mm. You know, they're um, I think they're held quite close. And even like we we kind of ro- eye roll and we laugh that we're all addicted to technology, but I think we don't go into the specificity of it mm. and how that can kind of impact. And I think it's in the specifics um, and the nuances of our relationship with it that we can kind of release some of the hold it has over us or maybe some of the shame we have around it. Yeah, I think you're right. Like I've been thinking a lot about technology in terms of addiction recently. And like, look, I've spoken about, written about, thought about addiction a lot in my life because it's impacted my life. Other people's addictions have impacted my life quite seriously um, Mm -hmm. over the many decades. Um, And I have always been like, oh, I'm not. I actually don't think I have it in me. I don't have that like addictive kind of compulsive thing. But then I try and sit in a room away from my phone for half an hour and I feel itchy and crawly and uncomfortable. I can Mm -hmm. do it. Like, you know, I'm not overly worried about it. But, you know, I wonder, will there come a time where we will all have to confront the fact that we are actually addicted to our phones and to social media and to various other little bits of technology that we access via the gadgets that we keep in our pockets all day, every day. Like a friend of mine had her, I'm I'm in a sharing a house at the moment with some friends. Uh, we're away with our kids. And she plugged her phone in last night in the kitchen and went to bed. And I was like, what? Was like, made, I feel room? anxious even hearing about that. <laughs> like you don't have it under your pillow? Like what do you do when you wake up? What if you wake up in the middle of the night? Are you not going to check that? Like I, you know, seriously, it seemed utterly bizarre to me. And then I was like, yeah. whoa, that's maybe not great. I know, I know. And yet it's so normalized. I think you're you're exactly right that I think there will, there be a, there's going to be a time where it's probably so excessive mm. and there was the, the knock-on effects is so has such an impact that we're going to actually have to look at it. Mm. But at the moment, we all just say, like, I actually now feel anxious just from you talking about your friend. <laughs> like it's left a palpable feeling of anxiety yeah. in my body. So yeah, it's, it is so prevalent and it's so normalized because so many, like it's, it's the, the outlier is the person who can leave it downstairs mm. or who can just have it off for a while mm. and not, and not kind of have that be a thing. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that like at some point we're going to have to look at it mm, mm. because I do think the n- neurological effects of that constant stimulation are impacting our nervous system. They yeah. have to be. Yeah. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Sorry. No, <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I fully accept what you're saying and I think that you're correct, but it is uncomfortable to sit with, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yes, I, I spent a lot of those years I was saying where I was like, l- like lost in the pr- procrastination of I would go through these cycles of like checking email, checking phone, checking like I would have all these different things to check mm. and nothing would come. If nothing would come in, I would just start the cycle again. Yeah, But and do like, you yeah. do you think that that's a way of like I was talking to a friend of mine recently who was going through something difficult and um, she <laughs> she was talking about thinking in the shower. And I was kind of being facetious, like I was mostly messing, but I was like, oh my God, no. I was like, you can't, you can't be having silent showers. I was like, no, no, no. Don't put yourself in that position. Why would you put yourself alone with your thoughts? No, no, no. Like you need to get yourself a shower speaker. We need to be engaged at all time. And I was joking, but I was also not joking because it is a great way to avoid actually facing any real thoughts or feelings you have, isn't it? 
Oh, 100%. It's so easy to like get to the end of a week and realize I haven't had a moment of quiet. And I know I do it in the times where I'm particularly hiding something I need to feel. Mm -hmm. And actually the shower for me is the one place that often I do have quiet and I allow the ideas. I like, Mm. I get ideas, but then I can start to spiral easily. (laughs) Mm. Yeah. Um, So like, I think that it, again, it's just so normalized that we will always have, we will always have a podcast in or music in, or there's always something on. Yeah. And I try and meditate uh, every morning. I don't always do it. Mm. But even in that, it's mostly just brain noise. Like I hardly ever get to the place of quiet yeah. at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think there's a disease of of busyness, of yeah. noise. Yeah. Um, and I kind of think like the story I'm writing, it does come down to the fact that there's just a whole host of shadowy pain that this character needs to allow up and out. Mm. And it's hellish mm. to feel it. It's so painful, but mm. in feeling it, there is peace on the other side of it. Is there? That's good news. <laughs> yeah, I I think so. From my experience, it doesn't mean that it's like everlasting peace. Yeah, but I think that you can arrive at a moment. <laughs> um, in reading about your play, I read that um one of the one of the things that went into writing this show was you processing coming to bisexuality late. Um, Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so both in the story and my own journey, Mm. um, I was like 39 before I had my first, and this is the same in the story, my first sober kiss with a woman because I did kiss a lot of women in college. Mm -hmm. So many, and I just presumed that everyone was, but I think everyone else was kind of kissing me. (laughs) 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 The common denominator. Okay. God, it's it's so normal that we get drink and drunk and like uh, everyone kisses everyone. But I, I kind of, yeah, it was this really interesting understanding that the more I actually really understood that I am by that there was all these signs all the way up like from the youngest like from the age of about seven or eight there were signs all the way up and it was I guess the easiest thing in the world to like shut that part of me down because it was really scary Mm. um and so yeah I had my first relationship with a woman at 39 and and how did that happen did that happen because you kind of forced yourself to confront this reality about yourself or did it happen kind of organically and then you had to confront this reality about yourself uh yes and both okay (laughs) uh so I had been in relationships with guys kind of quite you know I was like a serial monogamist mm. um but during those times when I was uh, in relationships or just out of relationships there would be girls along the way that I'd be like oh I'm attracted to her but it was never a good time because I was always in one or just out of one mm. um and then I just there was like enough time where I was single and I actually I actually sorry I did start to go on dates through apps with women mm-hmm. but apps are so kind of like you know, you have nothing to hold on to or you have nothing to like get a sense. So I, I went on a few dates, but there was no chemistry with any of the women I went on dates with. Right. So I thought, oh, maybe I'm not bi. Yeah. And then I saw this woman in a play uh, and I just was like, like full body, like, oh, 
yes mm. <laughs> like there was no debate around it yeah um and we were it was a, we have a mutual friends so yeah like it took me it took me about three months to get up the courage to tell my friend that I liked her and mm. um and yeah it was like both incredible uh, like such a, a affirming experience and I felt so kind of understood and seen in a way that you just can't I don't think necessarily with an opposite gender. I don't know, actually. I shouldn't say that. But well, that was your I experience, though. Yeah, my experience. Exactly. Yeah. Um, uh, but also, yeah, it was just an awful lot of very new things and me feeling like completely out of my depth all the time. And how did it make you feel about your identity? Like, did you feel sadness that you hadn't kind of come to the realization sooner? Yeah, I think so. I think I was sad for my younger self. I've... Um, just watched Heartstopper all of season two. I I'm watching it at the moment. It. Yeah, oh, I love it so much. And so, yeah, watching this like queer group of friends, um, you know, learn life together. I mm. think definitely a little bit of like, oh, there was missed opportunities there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never I was I was kind of unaware that it was something. Yeah, I, there was never a feeling of like I I never consciously thought to repress it. It yeah. didn't it didn't. And then for a really long time, even when I was dating this woman, I thought, oh, I I don't know if I deserve, like it felt like it took me a while to sit into it. Like, do I deserve the identity of bisexual? Um, mm. Yeah, there was a lot of kind of like feelings of uh, wanting to really make sure before I took the label. And I, I think it's taken me a couple of years, but right like now I'm, I, I, I've sat into it and I, yeah, it feels like it, it is who I am. And, yeah. Mm. I think I've had conversations with friends about this and I think sometimes people really struggle to understand um, why someone wouldn't realize something like that about themselves kind of all the time because we do hear so much from queer people that like it was always there I always knew you know from the age of whatever Um, but I do think that the way that women are sexualized and the way that we are taught about sexuality has a huge impact in lots of us not not actually connecting properly to our sexuality at all until much later in life. Yeah, definitely. I think that the stories we're fed, especially if you're bisexual, it's we're, so, we're in such a heteronormative society, such a patriarchal society that if the stories were fed, um, if you have, for me, I had the opportunity to go a route that felt safe. Mm. And so, I, I yeah, as a, as a child, I, I think I chose that without ever making that conscious decision. Um, but it, it didn't feel safe in school. The, the one um, I was in an all girls school and the, and the one kid who came out was really badly bullied and it was mm. just awful to see. And yeah, I think somewhere along the way, I just made a decision that uh, if I can if I can present as heterosexual, I guess that's just what I'll do. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, the, I think, you know, what you're saying there about like coming into our sexuality in general, I actually think that's true of of oh any sexuality you are as a woman yeah to, yeah to i think to, so like, too really own that mm. you know we're not meant we're not meant to be sexual in a lot of ways or we're meant to be we're meant to be sexual to be looked at yeah but not not 
from an in, inside out. Well, we're kind of raised to please, aren't we? We're, yeah. Or we were, anyway, our generation. I think you and I are the yes. same age. Yeah. And I feel like we were raised to please. A lot of the media we were presented with um, kind of illustrated sex for women as a chore and, um, you know, all of the jokes about I have a headache or, you know, men have to convince women to have sex. All that kind of yeah. stuff serves you up such a lie about sexuality. But, but you know, when you're taking that in for your whole life, it's going to have an impact. It can't but not. Mm. You just absorb it. Yeah, and you absorb that like uh, that men are the sexual ones. Yeah. And women kind of are the ones who are the objects of that sexuality. Yeah. yeah. And I was always a very sexually charged person. So trying to kind of like navigate that. Mm. Um, yeah. In a, in a society where we're told uh, it's OK, but in in very specific circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, I find all of this stuff absolutely fascinating and I know that this is the basis of the scratcher. Um, yeah. So tickets are available now. It is on as part of the Fringe from the 11th to the 16th of September. It's on in Bewley's Cafe Theatre, which if people haven't been there is such a gorgeous space. Um, I have been there for a good few productions and these are handy times if you have a busy life, because they're on, it's on at 6 p.m. Um, uh, most days and 3.30 on the 16th. Um, so if you need to get home for, say, a bedtime or, you know, something like that, you can totally sneak in and go and see this show and then get home and still live your whole life. Right, Kelly? Right. Yeah. I'm doing an the hard sell for, for you. An hour is a perfect little <laughs> little taste. And you're going to laugh a lot. I haven't really mentioned that it's comedy. Yeah. Um, there's all these things, but I like to like, I like to, I like to cushion them with a lot of humor. Yeah. So. Sorry. I, I just immediately went deep there. So that's oh, my no, fault. I love to go deep as well. But yeah, you'll, you're going to laugh hopefully the whole way through. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, Kelly, I'm going to let you go because I can hear that my children have returned and therefore this piece will not last for much longer. But thank you so, so much. As I said, The Scratcher is on um, as part of the Fringe Festival in Bewley's Cafe Theatre from the 11th to the 15th. And if you want to check out the Fringe Festival, just go to fringefest.ie. Kelly Shatter, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Louise. It's been a pleasure. Really appreciate it. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. <laughs> Too tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8,000 PA suction removes debris, and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
Now, this week, LGBTQ plus activist James O'Hagan joined me to talk through the week's entertainment stories, and there was a lot to discuss. We talked about Angela Scanlon being on Strictly and some of the controversy about someone else who's in the Strictly casting announcement. We talked about Barbie's success. We talked about Tory Lanes and Megan Thee Stallion, the sentencing that is or isn't. And of course, what impact the writer's strike is having in terms of what we'll get to see over the next number of weeks. I hope you enjoy. Well, James, I just warned you that uh, I am in a house of chaos, five adults, three children, three bedrooms. It's uh, mayhem. So we may be interrupted. And if we are, you know what? So be it. Uh, but for now, life. that is life. <laughs> that is life. <laughs> for now, we have a bit of peace. And so let's get stuck in. We've got lots to talk about in the world of celebs. And unfortunately, the first thing we need to discuss is the funeral of Sinead O'Connor. Yeah, so obviously major news the last week was was her passing in, in London. And I suppose it, it's hard to remember a time when the country has felt so unified, certainly not in, 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 in my recent memory. Can I think of a time where it has really felt like kind of a moment of like national just sort of coming together around someone who really represented, I suppose, you know, ultimately what it is we want to be known for, for for honesty, for charisma, for artistry. Um, and so it was really beautiful to see kind of there on Tuesday morning, kind of Ireland almost stand still to, to remember Sinead O'Connor for everything she brought to our, um, to, I suppose, to, to our nation. So it, it, she was a one-of-a-kind figure and that really came through in all the coverage around this. You saw so many people sharing their own personal stories about kind of like their interactions with her. And then I suppose it was great to have that national moment. So Bray on Tuesday morning was filled. There was aerial photographs of the, the funeral cortege making its way through the middle of Bray. And it was just the 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 the, the hearse itself was just covered in flowers from people mm. throwing them in. And there was just people lining the streets right the way down. And um, Umar al-Qadri, the, the imam from the Islamic Center who was kind of overseeing the, the funeral, said that just as her art just as her, her art had brought a diverse sort of coalition of people together throughout her life, her funeral had brought a symphony of unity together at, at her funeral. Mm. Um and I think midday that day, all the radio stations played Nothing Compares to You, which was a beautiful tribute. And you had a gorgeous um, sign erected on Brayhead, Era Loves Sinead, uh, which, I mean, it was really just gorgeous. And it was a lesson in sort of compassion and empathy, especially in our current times. Mm. This need to, like, you know, honour those people that we value. And I think, I mean, I have a small sideline thing of, like, so many of the people who spoke out with such great kind of admiration for her had also been people who maybe had contributed to a lot of the hardships that she had had uh, had endured throughout her time. So I do think that hopefully some people can see the national public response to this and reflect on how we talk about things like mental health, how we in, engage with people who are obviously suffering or who aren't able to sort of, you know, manage the, the sort of, you know, onslaught of people kind of like being uh, kind of looking at them so yeah I think it was it was a beautiful beautiful thing though yeah and it has been as you say really gorgeous to see the kind of unity in Ireland in terms of our response to Sinead she was so loved and I don't think I even expected it to be as united as it was no absolutely I I because she's someone I suppose like I like uh, you know, child of the eighties, very much linked back. That like nothing compares to you. Video feels mm. like it is just sort of seared into your memory as just yeah. like part of who you are. But she isn't necessarily someone who kind of was sort of current within sort of any of the years that I was sort of you know going to gigs or that. She just felt like she was just this background icon. And so when 
she she passed the I was taken aback by the massiveness of how it seemed to impact people mm. and how genuinely it seems to, to to impact people as well mm. because I think that people really resonated with the truth and honesty with which she spoke out about particularly yeah. the role of, of the church in 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 sort of so many of the atrocities that have been committed against the Irish people and I think people really respected and needed that because I don't think we really have had anyone else mm. who has spoken out so forcefully and has lost so much as a result of that so I think that she was just a special character. Yeah, well, this is the thing is that she did it before it was, you know, okay or popular or acceptable to do it. And that's why she suffered yeah. the consequences that she did. Anyway, look, we've spoken a lot about Sinead on this podcast. I have no doubt that she will continue to come up because she is, I mean, genuinely an iconic figure in Ireland. And um, she, she has nothing but love coming from this direction. So may she rest in peace. Um, now, in entirely different news um, Strictly is coming back not something I often talk about on the no. podcast but we had to acknowledge our very own Angela Scanlon being part of it this year I know I mean vivacious redhead beautiful pale skin Angela Scanlon is going to bring all of her wit charm and charisma to the Strictly uh, stage so she she has spoken about the fact that this has been in the ether for uh, for like a number of years but kind of timing hasn't worked out with mm. uh with sort of, you know, family planning and that. So this year it just really made sense for her to like take it and go for it. And I think that she is a brilliant addition to the cast because she will have that kind of, she has that charm and charisma and energy. Like you, you see it just in the way she holds herself, the way she carries herself. People are going to really relate to her. I, I do have to say that nothing really marks the sort of beginning of the end of summer and the transition into autumn, winter, quite like the protracted announcement of the Strictly Select. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It feels like going into Dunn stores and seeing all the copy books and folders and back right. to school stuff. <laughs> See, I never pay attention, so it doesn't have that because I'm not. A, I I just I don't know. I can't get into Strictly. I've tried. I, I have to say, it, it really does depend on the cast, and like so, I always will watch the kind of the opening show and maybe the first week or two and either the cast will take me in and I'll be like I'll get invested and then I'll be hooked mm. or I'll completely hooked. like I have no idea who won last year I, I watched the first I didn't sort of watch the rest of it because it just didn't catch me in I'm excited though for the cast this, this year though because first and foremost like Angela Scanlon amazing we yeah. love to see it absolutely but Christian Guru Murthy of Channel yeah. 4 News fame I'm like what will he like look like doing a tango what yeah. will he like doing a tie and Leighton Williams as well he's a, a terrific actor who's been popping up a terrific queer actor who's been popping up in 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 really kind of powerful roles he was in Kinky Boots and Billy uh, Billy Elliot on 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 the the West End mm. has appeared in in Jack Whitehall's TV show Bad Education uh, and also in in everybody is everybody's talking about Jamie so he's someone who's like it's going to be very excited to see what he brings in terms of you know he's he's well known for his drag performances mm. he's well known for kind of you know his his sort of like his his very unique gender expression so it'll be mm. interesting to see how he strictly manages to to carry that sadly though on the sort of flip side of the casting um I, you know i i think that it's it's it, 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 it's unfortunate that maybe this sort of became part of the conversation because i do think this sort of you know woke culture discourse culture war stuff really you know it doesn't really make anything better but amanda abington who was also cast uh, as part of the the um uh, as part of this year's cohort of celebs she's well known for being in i think sherlock and mr selfridge 
she a number of years ago had a couple of kind of unfortunate fairly anti-trans tweets where she talked about sort of how drag was abhorrent and how sort of you know no woman could ever have a penis and this kind of stuff yeah. so very sort of let's you know, just the, let's call a spade a spade she literally wrote you cannot have a penis and be referred to as a woman so like yes. you know there's nothing wishy-washy about this this no. is not liking other people's tweets this is it's you know. No, it is like direct. Now yeah. she has said that she came out with like one of the stranger statements of kind of like, oh no, I support the legitimate trans community. And I'm like, with no definition as to like, what does that, what mean? Does that mean? Like, who are the legitimate trans community? Who is deciding who the legitimate trans community is? She has said that she's been educated and approved her understanding and that she regrets it and all this kind of stuff. And it real feels like a PR kind of 180 to try and, uh, to, to try and kind of like scramble back to this. But I do think it comes back to like when they're casting shows like this, they need to know what are the values of the show. And if the values of the show are inclusivity for the queer community, they need to be aware when they're casting someone who has previously had high profile sort of, you know, anti-LGBTQ kind of stories or rhetoric, rhetoric around them. So even if she has learned quite a lot, even if she has, you know, completely changed her opinion, they knew that this was going to be the conversation that would happen around it. And yeah. it's not going to be productive for anyone. And it only adds to the sort of right-wing cancel culture conversation in yeah. a way that it's like, which which I'm just like, it, it's not helpful to anyone. Yeah. I'm just reading her, what she said in her Instagram video where she kind of clarified her stance for want of a better term. Mm-hmm. She said, I need to make this very clear. I love drag. I think it's an amazing form of entertainment and I effing love drag queens. I think they're hilarious and brilliant. It's an art form and I think there's absolutely a place for it in the entertainment industry. My son played Jamie and everybody's talking about Jamie and he was a wonderful drag queen. She says her tweet about drag in March... She said was what she called abhorrent at the time, the, what she was referring to. She says, uh-huh. was regarding a 12-year-old who was doing it in front of adults. And it just upset me because I saw a kid, a little kid, a 12-year-old doing something very over-sexualized. And I didn't think it was right. This is at the crux of so much of this, this discussion, this assumption that drag is a sexual thing. Yes. When the vast majority of the time it's not. You know, obviously sometimes it is because it's a it's a very diverse kind of performance exactly. art. And then she says, and that was my tweet. I didn't associate that with the trans community, nor would I associate that with the trans community. No, but your Aman can't, you know, your that other tweet it. was, yes. yeah. Nor would I associate that with the trans community because I think they're two separate things. I'm, they are two separate things. We were all agreed on that. I'm not transphobic. I'm not a transphobic person. I'm a firm supporter of the legitimate trans community I always have been see that's but that, what does see, that, that mean is, I like that, that is in my mind in my ears that's kind of a like almost sort of a dog whistle to people who are where there is like the anti-trans rhetoric is always around the idea that sort of there is this sort of cohort of people that are using sort of gender ideology and massive inverted commas to sort of access vulnerable women's space. And I suppose so she is and the reality is is that there is no like supporting evidence for that argument. There is no sort of like legitimate sort of, you know, you can't point to, you know, sort of an abundance of examples of this happening. People, you know, will use this as a way to kind of disguise their transphobia by saying like, oh no, it's not and this idea of the legitimate trans community, it's almost like this silent minority kind of thing. It's like no, like you are you are trying to buy into these anti-trans talking points mm. while also being able to somehow apologize. You get to don't get to decide who is or isn't a legitimate trans person. As we see every single day of the week, mm. the real sort of perpetrators of violence against women are cisgendered heterosexual men. Mm. So if you're so like activated and outraged by the idea of vulnerable women being targeted, why are you not 
like taking it to that direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Instead of like piling in on top of this vulnerable minority. It yeah. does really frustrate me. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, it, I will say she did go on in her video to say, um, and it, this is believed to be a reference to her, you, you cannot have a penis comment. I made a stupid comment a few years ago. I was ill-informed. I apologized and did my research and I'm much more informed now. I've said stupid things and of course I have and instantly regretted them. Everybody is learning. And look, that's fair. And, you know, fingers Hopefully. crossed she will continue to clarify and continue to learn because, you know, as long, I, I think it is, and I know you agree with me, absolutely crucial that there is space for people to learn. So fingers crossed now. Um, but I think you're right. I think that, you know, when you are making a show like this that is supposed to be inclusive, you need to consider the, these kinds of things. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about Barbie and better news. Oh, come on, Barbie. Let's go to the one billion par Barbie party. Who knows? That didn't work. But <laughs> Barbie has Barbie breaking records all over the place. Yeah. The biggest earning female director of all time, highest grossest filling film of this year, has made something like sixty-seven point five million pounds sterling, which I think is over a billion dollars at the box office in the last in the last three weeks. And I mean, again, not to go too woke culture, whatever, but this was kind of being used by people like Ben Shapiro and Pierce Morgan as this sort of like litmus test on like kind of woke. Every time I use woke, by the way, you can infer that there are massive inverted commas around it. Uh, this sort of like woke culture war side of things. But the reality is people just want to see good movies. People want to laugh when they go to the, to the movies. They want to have an opportunity to get dressed up, be mm. able to go out with their friends. And it's been brilliant to see that return because mm. I, I went on, on opening night and the entire cinema was dressed up. Mm -hmm. It was like everybody was there in costume. Yeah. Everyone was like really putting an effort in. And you could see that even the people who were there to see Oppenheimer were dressed. And it was it was just a sense of like everyone is taking this as an excuse to have an occasion, to yeah. enjoy themselves, to have a bit of fun. The movie itself is incredibly, it's incredibly funny. It's mm. powerful. It's moving. It's it's something that like feels sort of really unique at the moment and that it's not connected to any other sort of major chain of blockbusters. Yeah. It's standalone. It, it sort of just has, it, it's just something that we can all kind of enjoy and get behind without being bought into a 75 million yeah and Marvel. also it's unapologetically for the gals do you know what i mean absolutely and absolutely. like we don't get those big movies historically like historically the big blockbusters are aimed at men and it is like last yeah. year the biggest film was top gun maverick <clears throat> which i'm not saying women don't enjoy but um you know big planes fighting guns all that kind of crack stunts like those are usually the yeah. films that that get the big budgets um because it's assumed that they'll do well at the box office so it's great to see a film like barbie doing so well and um, we literally love to see it literally. okay Let's talk briefly about Tory Lanez, who is a someone I had never heard of actually until he shot Megan the Stallion. The um, first, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but he was this, sentenced this week. I, 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 Meg, this story, many TikTok explainers, many like articles read later. I am still a little none the wiser as to whether he has been sentenced or remains awaiting sentencing. It, it's very confusing and convoluted, but. He, back in, in August of 2020, he apparently was having an altercation in a car with Megan Thee Stallion in or around a Kylie Jenner party. Megan Thee Stallion left the, 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 the car during the altercation and he, um, well, not even allegedly, he has been convicted of shooting at her feet a number of times, shooting her in the foot and injuring her. And over the course of the next like three years, essentially, 
he has, along with what seems like a number of co-conspirators, just conspired to torment Megan the Stallion to try mm. and undermine her 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 um her credibility to try and suggest that there was sort of like an industry kind of movement to protect him uh, against her he had hired kind of uh hired um bloggers and influencers to to release fake information and false uh, uh and sort of like false court reports he created apparently but he didn't allegedly someone created false accounts for uh, or, or sort of like imposter accounts for kind of heads of particular record labels and were sending fake text messages and emails claiming that sort of you know they were on his side over hers or trying Mm. to delegitimize what she'd been saying but he was convicted of first degree assault with a firearm and the prosecution have asked for 13 years uh, as in 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 prison as a uh, as a punishment again i was finding it hard to, to find whether she had actually been sentenced apparently he, 70 plus letters were, were uh, 70 plus letters of support were, were handed in from various people either within the industry and within the prison to sort of say hey he's a good guy including one from Iggy Azalea for whatever reason right um but Megan Thee Stallion came out this week and spoke about the fact that she's as a result of this experience she struggles to be present she's been tormented and terrorized and, and treated like her trauma is a joke and I absolutely understand that from everything I've read about this it feels like as if he has gone to every length possible to delegitimize her to undermine her to try and sort of avoid any form of accountability uh for 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 what he has been charged with and convicted of and it now seems like this conversation is coming around and we've had quite recently in the news here conversations around sort of letters of support and people being able to say oh yeah you did a terrible thing but this person over here says you're a nice person and somehow that means that and it's like I'm like, give this man 13 years in prison, please. Megan the Stallion deserves it. If he hasn't already gotten it, give it to him now. Yeah, like, sorry, anyone who shoots at a woman's foot and says, dance, bitch, and then afterwards is like, oh, everybody was drinking. Like, no, no, no. go to go to jail, bitch. Like, that's <laughs> exactly. like, absolutely not. Absolutely no, not. No. It's disgusting. And his behavior afterwards only compounds the fact that he deserves to be punished. So 100%. and I'm not a big like send them to prison person. I'm not like hugely an advocate of the prison system or whatever. But this guy lock him up. Um, no, completely. Yeah. Okay. Now let's talk about the writer strike because it's actually something that we haven't discussed on uh, the show at all for whatever reason. It just hasn't hasn't happened. Hasn't been, I suppose, coincided with a, a, yeah. a big story during the week. And I thought it would be a good idea just to touch base with where things are because it's been going on for quite a while now, and it has gotten to the point where it is seriously affecting the lives of writers. Um, and obviously now the actors are involved as well, and it is going to affect what we get to watch in yeah. the coming months, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And it's interesting. So it has been going on for, for over 100 days now. Um, and essentially, the, the message coming loud and clear from the, the actors and from the writers is that they are in it for the long haul until they get the deal that they deserve, which I think is you know absolutely right and proper. And I do think that there's quite a, an atmosphere of eat the rich in, right. in, the, uh, in the general kind of, you know, public sphere. So people are very supportive and are, are very much in solidarity with them. It's interesting, like looking back over the history of writing of, of strikes within Hollywood and kind of like where they have come around. Uh, and there have been three kind of major ones, this being the third. The first one was around residual payouts for, uh, for, for sort of additional showing to program so if you're on something like Eeyore or Charmed or something like that and it's shown again on other TV shows you now as an actor or writer will get residual uh, payments as a result of that the second one was around home video payments so what's sort of and this one now is around streaming services so essentially 
I suppose what has happened is at each juncture where a new revenue stream has been created by studios and by investors, mm. the 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 people who are creating the content, the creatives have had to put their foot on the brakes and go into a strike in order to demand to demand a slice of that pie. And that's exactly what's happening here. So the the the, the actors and the writers are stopping and saying, no, you are making a huge amount of money or there is possibility and potential for a huge amount of money to be made from the work we're doing through streaming services. And we also are anxious about how you're going to use AI to use our our images and our writing within the, within the future. So it isn't without it's uh it, it isn't without i suppose the the the, the negative knock-on effect for for actors and writers who now find themselves unable to work for a prolonged period of time actor billy porter hi, has recently spoken out about the fact that like essentially the life of an artist it, until you've made as he says fuck you money is living paycheck to paycheck and that's still what he is is doing he spoke about the fact that he fully supports the strikes and it's so important to do it but that there needs to be sort of a recognition of the impact this is having now on sort of I suppose some of the 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 sort of the less well-paid people who don't have that sort of money and that we need sort of to be supporting those people as well but essentially yeah. it's for the the studios and the I suppose the, the, the creative directors someone spoke about the 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 head of Disney who's giving himself a bonus of five times his base salary just oh he seems like an absolute thing. pig he really is. And I feel bad for Disney as well, because in the whole like Ron DeSantis political thing, they were coming off so well. And now it's like, oh, guys, you're squandering this thing. But as a result of this, you can expect to see delays to many of our favorite shows. The 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 biggest ones, I think, in the list would be the likes of Euphoria, Stranger Things, The Last of Us, uh, Abbott Elementary, mm. um, Big Mouth, Emily in Paris, all of the late night uh, news shows, Saturday Night Live, American Dad, Big Mouth, uh, and uh, 1923, that um, Helen Mirren and, and Harrison Ford show that sort of had a big blockbuster release last year has been delayed indefinitely. So it is likely that some of the productions that have been been halted as well as this are not going to come back. And we are going to start seeing a delay to some of these things coming out later on, uh, sort of in the in the year. But I'm to be honest with you, I'm okay with not, not getting the end of the Stranger Things until the actors and writers are being paid properly yeah i mean totally it's like it's it's disgusting actually uh what's happening yeah. and yeah. <laughs> especially when you look at people like your man but is it bob Iger, who's the head of disney yeah mm. who is literally a billionaire like i know a billionaire like you know at this the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and then all the people in the middle are just getting fucked over and Completely. it's it's not acceptable and then we have to take a stand as a kind of you know humanity um to try and do something about this so i think it's great however i'm not going to be you know dishonest here and say i am upset about the fact that our, our watching is going to be fucked up <laughs> but i don't blame the actors or the writers i blame the bad guys like yeah. hello i don't know anybody who's old enough to remember the last writer's strike um which was absolutely devastating in like 2008 if you were a friday night lights fan let me tell you things went very weird for a while <laughs> like it will not be good for our entertainment however as you say we obviously fully support those striking um and wish them all the very best i hope it's resolved soon but it's yeah, not looking absolutely. it's not really looking very I, optimistic I, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like anyone's going to move first and it, it, it feels like there really is from the product from the, the the producers and the the studio side the real starve the mouse kind of mentality yeah. which i think is so gross because it's like without <laughs> these people 
like you just wouldn't have the product that you are putting out there and it certainly wouldn't be creating the profits that it is so no it's cop yourselves on and pay people properly yeah it's properly disgusting i totally agree yeah. well james thank you so much we managed to do it without any interruption can you believe it I, i'm i'm very impressed i'm very shocked impressed. Um, <laughs> thank you so so much uh, we will talk to you again soon thanks for going through this week's entertainment stories for us no problem I will be completely honest with you. I do not have a lot of recommendations before we go this week because I just haven't had a lot of time to consume. However, I will give you one incredibly obvious one that almost everyone has recommended. And you're going to be like, Louise, seriously, this is supposed to be useful to me as if I didn't already know that this program was lovely, as if I didn't already watch this program ages ago. Look, I'm sorry. It's where we are. Uh, I'm going to recommend Heartstopper. Um, you probably heard about this or you probably watched season one, but it's back for season two. And oh man, it is such a lovely program. It's on Netflix. It's about two teenage boys discovering themselves and each other. It's really sweet and really lovely. And uh, it's definitely worth a watch. If you haven't gotten around to it yet for whatever reason, um, then I highly recommend. Can I also recommend the Patreon? I know that it obviously it bef- like is to my benefit if you join the Patreon um, because it's a five a month and that money goes toward helping me continue to make this podcast and indeed buying equipment and all that kind of crack. But I really, this week, the Patreon episode was the August mailbag episode, um, which basically is where I take your voice notes and answer them and also read your text messages and answer those because I know not everyone is comfortable putting their voice out there and that's absolutely fine although I do love the voice notes because what I love about it is I feel like it's a place where we can kind of get to know each other better and someone referred to it as kind of like a group chat a couple of weeks ago and like it really feels like that I feel like there's a beautiful community there your takes are so interesting This week we talked about Barbie, the impact of the Barbie film on us personally and our kind of inner child and how we feel about ourselves and girlhood and how quickly it's taken away from us. We talked about the new legislation around IVF and funding. We talked about the lack of merch for the Women's World Cup. We talked about the reality of American high school, why it's so tribal, is bullying worse there than other places. Like we talked about so much interesting stuff. And I really think you'd like it. If you like this podcast, I really think you'd like it. I'm, and I mean, obviously, yes, there's a selling aspect to this as well, but I'm recommending it out of genuine recommendation. But does that make sense? I don't know. Anyway, the number, if you do want to send a voice note, is 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. And of course, uh, the Patreon, the link is in the show notes if you want to go over there. It's patreon.com forward slash catch up with Louise McSherry. Okay, my friends, I'm going to go. Next week, hopefully I'll be in a better mental space (laughs) and I won't sound frazzled throughout. Um, I hope you have a lovely week. But of course, as we always say, every week cannot be lovely. And sometimes all you can do is just put one foot in front of the other. Please do that. And I will talk to you next Friday. Thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network and to my contributors. I love you. Goodbye.
tired to clean your floors after playtime? Forgot to vacuum before your friends bring their little ones over? Let Eufy X10 Pro Omni help. Powerful 8000 PA suction removes debris and MopMaster dual mop pads scrub away stubborn stains with ease. Save time and keep your floors cleaner. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com, and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Una Chaplin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Hollywood Exiles. It tells the story of how my grandfather, Charlie Chaplin, and many others were caught up in a campaign to root out communism in Hollywood. It's a story of glamour and scandal and political intrigue and a battle for the soul of a nation. Hollywood Exiles from CBC Podcasts and the BBC World Service. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs> 